Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley. Welcome to Thread, Season 3, Episode 30. Thread is God's Word tying together all the pieces of your life as a person in ministry, whether you minister informally or as a vocation. In Season 3, we're moving through the book of 2 Corinthians. Today's Thread covers Chapter 13, that's the final chapter, verses 11 through 14, and the topic, Six Things to Work On. If you want to be spiritually healthy as a group, um, aside from raising six amazing kids who are now healthy adults, establishing families of their own, and aside from doing the daily work that's needed to keep a marriage strong and healthy for over 30 years, I'm pretty sure the most important thing that I've accomplished in my life is the establishment of healthy spiritual communities in Jamaica, the Philippines, and now in Thailand. Uh, My wife Sherry and I have been church planters for all of our ministry, and it actually began back in college uh, when I started a home uh, sort of cell group, Bible study group, and we would worship every week, and we'd look at God's Word, and we'd, we'd, you know, we just tried to live the life together. And I really think it's the most important thing that you can do for any city, uh, for any community, is to try to create a healthy uh, spiritual Christian circle, uh, people that are serious about discipleship, and they are living the life of a disciple in community. And I just think it's the biggest blessing you can bring to the world. And if you've never been part of establishing a group like this, look for the chance to do it. I mean, this doesn't have to be the big brick and mortar church, because actually most church planners, Sherry and I both feel, get it wrong. They focus on the Sunday service and they're all about, you know, we're going to plant a church and then right away they want to start a Sunday service. And actually, uh, as I've said before, Sunday is the most fake thing we do as a church. It has some real, you know, it has some life in it. And some churches, it has quite a bit of life in it, but it also has a lot of performance to it. And it's a whole bunch of work. It's surface level relationally. What really makes a church change people's lives is not the power of the man on the stage and how great he preaches and how, you know, awesome the praise team is. That's all wonderful. And I'm not, I'm not going to say anything but great things about that. But what makes life change is spiritual health and spiritual health is something that just flows, um, we discovered it accidentally. I don't claim that I knew this, but we discovered it by planting a church. We planted a church in Manila and we're part of planting other churches in the Philippines. But that that core group became Lighthouse uh, in South Manila. And we were the pastors of that church for about 15 years. And when we began that church, it had a group of solid disciples and they would bring their friends together. But m- very few of them had any real foundation in Bible knowledge. So we discovered pretty quickly that even if we, uh, when we had like children's church um, in a bedroom, that we had to watch what was said because they would, it was totally sincere, but they just didn't know the truth. So the, you know, the adult workers were saying all kinds of things that it's just, it's contrary actually. To what the scriptures say. So early on in that 
fellowship because it was it was really first generation Christians. They were coming to Christ, a lot of them out of substance abuse problems and other troubles. And so I just established an early rule that nobody got to teach the Bible for a while. You know, that I would teach the Bible. We'd gather together once a week for Bible training, but then we'd gather again another time for cell groups. And cell groups were not going to be Bible studies because that's what they always turn into. And everybody's sitting there, and one person, you know, is learning, and they're the one doing all the talking. I said, we're not going to do that. You already had Bible night. Now you're going to have live the life. And so all I want you to do is every week I want you to meet and bring your friends and you tell the truth about your lives, then you pray for each other, and then you eat food. And if you want to, you know, if somebody can play guitar or something and you want to sing some songs, that's great. But just that's all I want you to do. And we found that after a year, we had so many healthy people. They had come out of all kinds of problems. And I developed this this theory from watching this happen that it kind of works like osmosis, that you just if people can get into fellowship with solid believers, they just get a transference of health. The good stuff from the Holy Spirit just flows from life to life as they connect. And the contrary works too. Their dysfunction would start to leach out of them. You know, it didn't infect everybody else in the group. It just came out of them and they became balanced. Uh, but it, that, that core ingredient of honest community, that everybody in this circle was on the road to follow Jesus. And, uh, you know, that, that just became the, the heart of what we were doing. And I was amazed at what the Holy Spirit was doing to change people's lives just through healthy small groups. And, um, you know, they would, it could be your very first visit. I wouldn't have done it this way, but they did it and it worked. It could be your very first visit, you know, and you're so far from church and you don't know anything about any of this. And you're sitting there and, and the person next to you, it's kind of like an AA meeting, I guess. And they would say what their life was that week and the truth about the state that they were in as a person. And then they'd say, okay, let's pray for so-and-so. And then they might just turn to this new person and say, you pray. And he's like, me? Yeah, you just pray. You just talk to God about that problem. And they would. And, you know, so right away you've got people talking to God, ministering to other people, and it's their very first visit. You know, and I just watched the the Filipino way and I thought, this is amazing because I watched the difference in it. Uh, Now, I saw other groups trying a more regimented kind of um, Bible hmm, sort of campus crusade approach. I'm not saying anything bad. I'm just saying their their approach that I saw going on was a lot of. This booklet, all these scriptures, and you would think that a whole bunch of Bible work would immediately change people. But I actually found it can gloss over a whole lot of stuff that's going on that needs dealt with because they don't tell the truth. And now they become churchy people who know a lot of Bible and they've been into Bible studies forever. And they start to believe that the answer for all their problems is Bible study instead of living it. You know, the Bible is a tool. It's a thing that helps us live the life. And so we take God's word, we realign our thinking, and we move forward with it. Uh, But, you know, moving forward is not done in the Bible study. It has to be done in life. So when you've got a circle of people that will tell the truth about their life, 
and communicate honestly and have acceptance with each other and then lay hands on each other to move forward, oh, it was just magic. So that's really what the book of 2 Corinthians is about. Paul has seen the same thing happen all over the, his part of the Middle East. And now he is in a, he's in a, a part of, of Turkey that has an opportunity to just like spread the gospel so powerfully. And he's got this cosmopolitan city of Corinth that has connections, business connections and travel connections and, and ethnic links. Uh, and he just knows what an amazing church this thing can be. But their problem is not church growth, it's church health. And he's got ultimate dreams for this group, but they're so dysfunctional. And so as he wraps up his letter to them, he says, okay, let me summarize. And he gives them a really quick bullet list. I mean, this whole thing is just a few verses. And he gives them a bullet list of, of things that if you would just focus on this as an individual and in a Christian community circle, these are the things that lead you to be healthy. So these are like the big six, and I just want to go down through it. Let me just read it to you. I'm going to read New King James Version, uh, verses 11 through 14. He says, translated, Finally, brethren, farewell. Become complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Now, I want to unpack that uh, thought at a time, and I want to do it with some, uh, some Greek study so you get what's behind it. Okay, so we start with verse 11. The first of the six things Paul says, and he, he doesn't really say farewell. He says rejoice. It's a command word. Rejoice, but they use it also as a greeting, so it's been translated just like hello and goodbye. But I want to go back to the heart of what the greeting actually says. Rejoice. You know, so he's talking about truth-based positivity, the power of a positive mindset. I mean, it, even divorced from God, it's pretty much proven what a positive mindset can do in people's lives. But when your mindset is actually built not just on, uh, on positivity for a thing of its own, but on faith, which is different. Faith is about trust. It says, I can be positive because I trust. I have God who's so much bigger than me, and he's my God, and he's on my side, and he's actually now my father, and I'm his child and I am the apple of his eye, and I am approved, and I am forgiven, and I am embraced by him, and I can just lean back on him. And he's got all the things we've, you know, we've looked at in this book. He's got this manna system even that's going to take care of me all my life. And you're know, like, my survival is already settled. He has taken care of all that, and he's given me a life of purpose, and he's, he's given me a calling and I've got things to do and it's going to, you know, my life's going to work. It's going to achieve something meaningful. So Paul starts with that. Get that mindset. Get that faith mindset because, you know, faith is an engine for a healthy life. You got to approach life spiritually and you approach your life positively and it sets the, you know, the tone for your life that you're the, the, the base, the foundation tone of your life is positive, faith-filled, 
optimistic, believing that God is going to make this work and he's going to give me a life that makes a difference in the lives of other people. So he starts off with that. This is where ministry begins and this is where healthy spirituality begins. And this is where a healthy church begins. It's a positive group. It's a truth-based, faith-filled group. It's up. And, uh, and so you start with that. You need the right tone. Okay, now, number two, and this one is really cool. And they have trouble uh, translating. It, it's translated. I looked, I looked in so many tra- uh, different translations, and they come up with all kinds of things for this word. This, the thing that Paul says is, and one way you can say it is, strive for full restoration. Some translations say become complete. Let's think about that word, restoration, restoration. You know, most of us live our whole lives dissatisfied with ourselves, even more when we are, like, say, Christians who have a moral code that we're actually trying to live by and we struggle to live up to it. We realize as we attempt, you know, to be honest and we're not always and loving and we're not always loving And even when we set these goals, they seem like simple goals. You know, it's not rocket science. It's just keep your heart open to others and put them ahead of yourself. And but we struggle even with that basic level of morality and ethics. We wrestle with it. And so most of us who are honest and most of us who care about these things, we're dissatisfied with ourselves, and we realize how far beneath human we even are. You know, we're living so far beneath what it means to be a human, the original state of mankind. We've we've fallen from it and we can feel it. You know, people all over the world, we can feel this. Something's off about us. We're off balance. We're off center. We're off focus. We're we're drawn to evil. I mean, why aren't we drawn to good? Something's wrong with us. We know we're created, according to the Bible, to be the image of God. You know, this clear, exact reflection of his goodness and his love and his grace and his sacrifice for others. And that's what we were made to be. And our inside is is like wired for that. And yet we're not living that life. We've fallen from that life. We were fallen from it before we were born and all through our life, our choices and our setbacks and We're not up to that standard. And Paul says, strive to be completely restored, restored to what you were, to what you were created to be. Strive, work hard to be completely restored. King James Version says to be perfect, you know, to go back to that state uh, of it all being right. In verse nine of the same chapter, Paul said, that this restoration of their of their lives was his overall aim in his relationship with them, that he wanted them to be powerful, that he prayed for their restoration, he says in verse 9. So just think about restoration. It means, you know, to be fixed, that it was working, and now it's it's not working, not the way it should be working, and it needs to get put back right. It needs to become lined up. We need to become lined up inside properly with God. We need a heart that loves what he loves. It feels what he feels. 
that we flow with him effortlessly. You know, we don't resist him. And that's enough. You know, our problem isn't so much in, in doing all we can and being all. It's about being, about just being balanced and right. So Paul's putting the focus, I think, in the right place. So, you know, he's opened this up by saying, approach this by faith. You know, approach it positively. Rejoice, believing, rejoice, believing that God is with us and God is on our side and God is actively helping move us along because that's what the kingdom of God means, that God is active in our lives. He's present and uh, he's present and active. He's doing things to push us toward his will. So Paul says, approach it in faith, but this is what you need to focus on, your complete restoration as a human, you know, to be what you are intended and what you can, what you can become, to become complete and whole and filled up. And what's cool about it, the actual Greek, the verb voice that Paul uses literally says, restore yourselves. That's got a lot of meaning. You know, thank God to know that our restoration is, first of all, his will and that he's putting his resources behind it. He's already, you know, green lighted it. He's already approved it. He is already working to make us be fully restored. But secondly, Paul is saying it's in our hands. You know, it's in our hands too. our actions, our mental submission to God's authority, our use of free will, what we fill our mind and heart with. All these things have a power to move us to experience restoration, to really be like not, you know, have, have you ever tuned a radio, like the old kinds of radios that you have to manually tune and you get it near it and you can, especially on AM, you can hear the station, but you hear a whole lot of other stuff. Maybe you hear a whole nother station, but then if you keep on going, keep on going, keep on, all of a sudden all that other stuff fades out and that signal is so clear. It's restoration, you know, that it's harmony, that's inside of us when our harmony note, you know, it's like we're singing a, a harmony note and we, we reach God's melody note. And it's like, wow, it's beautiful now. That's right. And so Paul turns to this church and he speaks to this circle and he says, restore yourselves, restore yourselves. You can do this. And he uses a plural. He doesn't say you, the individual person, restore yourself. He now partly he has to do it in a plural because he's writing the letter to a group. But partly because spiritual health is something that's impossible to achieve alone. And a lot of people just really don't get that. They think it's, you know, there used to be an old church song, me and Jesus got our own thing going. And uh, that's not right. We do. I thank God. I do have a direct relationship with Jesus. He speaks to me. I speak to him. I have fellowship with God through Christ directly. I don't have to go through a church to get fellowship. Actually, because of my fellowship with him, I'm included in a church, but I am included in a church. I am included in the church and walking with Jesus requires some level of community with the others who are walking with Jesus. So Paul is telling us in the second, um, the second thing to focus on that the goal of our community when we gather together, whether it's in a home fellowship or whether it's a Bible study or whether it's a work group, you know, you're, you're there for like a ministry to do or or maybe you're trying to do an ethical business with believers or I don't know, or maybe you're planning a church. Paul is telling us that the goal of this circle isn't so much, you know, to be the greatest church in our city or to have the deepest Bible study. The goal of it all 
worship, study, confessing the truth about our lives to each other, ministering to each other, ministering out of the circle to other people. All of it has one goal, our restoration to the image of God, that we could take a breath and walk into a new life, living as a full human, and that that is enough of a goal, you know? The greatness and the conquest, and those are human. That's human ways of thinking. But that your goal is restoration. It's our restoration within this circle and us bringing restoration to other people as God brings us back to the Garden of Eden and he restores that garden to this world. And he does it. That is the kingdom of God and it's moving throughout the world. And that's enough, you know, a circle of disciples, brothers and sisters with Jesus who've been healed of their wounds, set free from their habitual sin and the forms of bondage. Now living as images of God, fully human lives with healthy, restored souls in a sick world. And everybody will notice it. It'll be like, wow, you are the kind of people I want to be near. You're the kind of person I want to be like. And all they're seeing is someone restored. So Paul says this word, restore yourselves. You know, restore yourselves. Now, another way to see this command to the group is that Paul might be telling them, fix your dysfunctional fellowship. You know, it's not the pastor's job alone. We are the body. And Paul says to all of you, restore yourselves. Make your fellowship circle healthy. Restoration, it's a, it's a beautiful, big concept, and it is worthy of your thought and exploration. So, I mean, it would be worth a week's Bible study just every day to spend a little time, uh, you know, go to a Bible gateway or somewhere and look up the word restoration and then look for things that are related to that, things that were there that were taken away and lost and are given back. And it's a beautiful concept, and it runs all the way through scriptures. All right, now, staying in verse 11, the third foundation of a healthy Christian circle. Paul says, be of good comfort. And literally, he this is the word that um, the noun is paraclete. You know, that's what the Holy Spirit is called, the comforter. But what it means is that this is the one that will admonish you and ex, uh, encourage you. Probably encourage is the best way to say it. The one who... Uh, paraclete is somebody that walks along beside you. If you have to answer in court, uh, he's like your lawyer. He steps up by your side and he speaks on your behalf. If you are moving on an uphill journey and you've got a heavy load on your back, it's the one that encourages you and cheers you on and, and boosts up your load, you know, so it's not so heavy and keeps you moving forward. And so Paul says, do this to yourself and do this to yourselves. You know, speak well to yourself, encourage yourself and focus on being a paraclete, an encourager, uh, a buddy at the side to everybody in your relational circle. You know, keep each other. We could translate this, the third foundation, keep each other encouraged, you know, like actively. It's a command form. Actively get engaged with people in your circle to keep them boosted up. So he's saying it's your job. Not necessarily take on everybody's problems, but to walk with them on the road because we're all bearing our own burdens and we will jointly carry the burden of the Lord. But sometimes, yes, we need to drop what we're doing and rush to help our brother and sister because their foot is slipping and they're in danger of being overwhelmed. Uh, this last week, I took a couple of days off and I went on dirt bikes 
uh, Thailand, we live in northern Thailand, and it has some of the most beautiful mountain trails and roads and backwoods areas and just thousands of miles of trails because people have been living here for thousands of years and uh, here in the foothills of the Himalayas that start just north of us. And so I went on dirt bikes with uh, motocross bikes with my son-in-law, Ben. And so we got on, you know, we got on a lot of things that were just exciting. Anybody could have joined us. And then a couple times, though, we took a trek. And this is rainy season. And we ended up in places, and this one time in especially, we ended up in a, a jungle. And then it became not a road, but a trail, a footpath. And then it went, it was clay. And it was slick. And it just kept going up higher, higher. And the erosion of the rain coming down that path on the left side had cut uh, you know, like a ravine about four feet deep and on the right side about four feet deep. And there's just this little middle section for us to walk on one foot in front of the other. And as we're walking, you know, that has also been eroded. And so you've got a you've got like a four to five inch place wide to drive a motorcycle. And so, you know, at different times we'd get to slipping and then I, but I had one moment where I was climbing a very steep area and my rear end started to slide sideways and it's, it, it was in danger of going into this four foot deep rut. And I put my foot down to balance only there was another rut on the left side. So I just caught air. And so, uh, I was looking for a way to not drop the bike because once you drop them, they're, you know, the weight's going down the hill. Anyway, it's just a disaster, and we're way in the outback. So I found one place to put my foot, and I looked up, and Ben has seen what's going on with me, and he's leaned his bike against something, and he's hustling down the slick trail to get to me. And just knowing he was coming gave me a moment to just become stable. So I just put my foot out, and I, held, I just held my bike steady, and he got behind me and he grabbed my bike and he stabilized it so it wouldn't slip into that ravine. So I knew I didn't have to think about that. And I could just concentrate on getting forward motion again. And so I, I'm revving it up, you know, and so off I go again up the hill. And then I feel the rear end of my bike lift up. And he actually like boosted me up, put me in the center of that narrow little trek for feet that we're driving on. Anyway, we couldn't turn around. We had to keep going and get over this mountain. And once we got over, then we, you know, we could try to deal with the future there. And life is like that. Sometimes you get in a circumstance that you can't go back, you can't, and you can't quit. And it's crazy to try life. You know, it's too challenging. And it's crazy to go do dirt biking in these big mountains all by yourself. You need brotherhood. You need fellowship. You need somebody who's looking out for you. And you're looking out for them. And Paul says, this is what church is, you know. Uh, too much information. There's no such thing as too much information. If you're brothers, you know, you should care about the the welfare of your brother and sister in Christ. And so Paul says, when he says, be of good comfort, he's saying, be comforters to each other, admonish each other, encourage each other, walk beside each other through life, you know, get shoulder to shoulder and deal with life as a group. Okay, the fourth foundation of a healthy Christian circle. Still in verse 11, Paul says, be of one mind. And in Greek, literally, even the word order says, the same thing, think. 
think the same thing. In other words, be harmonized in what you are thinking about. And this is this is beautiful when you achieve it. The power of unity in a tight inner circle. Um, I had a friend who pastors in Alabama, um, and his name's Trey Taylor, and he recommended to me a book called The Advantage. And I recommend this book to you. And it's just a book about clarity, about the questions that leaders need to ask and answer so that your group can all think one thought, you know, so that we're not all trying to make up our mind about things. But we have already made up our mind as group and we know our purpose and we know who we're serving. We know what we're not going to do. We know what we are going to do. And we come to a place where we have the same life vision, you know, the same goal. Our heart bleeds for the same thing. And that has been also uh, the biggest reward for church planting is not the crowd. Uh, and even when it succeeds, it's wonderful. But that's not the biggest reward. I'll tell you what the biggest reward is. The biggest reward is the closest relationships you will ever have probably in your life. I know it was for me because you are sacrificing to plant a healthy, life-giving church in a city. And no preacher can do that. You do that with people and you get in a circle and, you know, preaching and teaching is one function in a healthy church. It is not you know, the central thing that's going on there, body life is. And so that you have found a group of people and you are aligning your life together and you guys are putting your money and your time and you're including your children, you're including your marriage partner, and you are thinking the same thing. And when you get together, it is to celebrate what's going on in people's lives. It is to mourn for the, the damage that happens in people's lives, and it is to seek God for direction and power, but it's one, you're thinking one think, and you're uh, like everybody's tuned to the same station, and you are so close to each other, and it's, it's that power of momentum and synergy, and like two people equals ten. When you get that level of harmony, and it's like the, the yoke, you know, you put the two oxen together, the yoke has to match both of them. They need to be about the same body size. And you get two of them yoked together and pull in a plow, and they're a lot stronger than one plus one. Uh, and that's the power of it. And Paul says that's the next level you got to go to. You know, it's the fourth foundation is that you think the same thing. You get unity. You get That's the one thing Jesus prayed about for his followers was, oh, God, help them. You know, think one thing, help them have unity, bring them to the kind of unity he prayed in John 17, bring them to the kind of unity that we have with each other. Be of one mind. All right. The fifth foundation is also in verse 11. He says, live in peace and the God of love and peace will be with you. That's your reward. Live in peace doesn't mean sit and meditate. I'm meditating is great. Do it. But that isn't what this means. Live in peace means it's an imperative uh, word. And he's saying, be peaceable. You know, if you want to be blessed, you got to be blessable. And if you're going to live in peace 
with God and man, you must be peaceable. You do the things that lead to peace. You make peace. Uh, if anything gets in the way and disturbs your peace with somebody, you fix it as a priority. You don't just write them off, you know. You work to keep harmony in relationships. You sacrifice. You would rather lose than hurt a relationship. You just, you know, you take losses. You take expenses. You just, you take it because you believe that relationships are more important than anything. And, you know, if I have regrets in life, it is those times that, I got stubborn and I made uh, an issue out of something that I should have just left alone because it really wasn't such a big deal in hindsight. But, you know, in the middle of it, uh, you get all caught up sometimes and you you end up straining. And, yes, you can go back later and you can say sorry and, and you must. Uh, and, you, you know, you repent and you apologize. And yet the damage is usually done. You know, there's a feeling, a little loss of trust. That they would have had if you just had left things alone. So Paul says, be peaceable. If you will be peaceable, if you will be a peacemaker, a maker of peace, somebody that when they walk in, they bring peace. You know, they they don't bring tension. They don't bring uh, nervousness in the room when they walk in. They enter and everybody relaxes, you know. They, They enter a hospital room and someone says, thank God you're here. You know, they just bring peace. And Paul says the reward is if you'll be peaceable, the God of love and peace will be with you. And now you're bringing God's peace, which is really cool because Jesus gave us this power. And he tells the disciples when he sends them out two by two to preach, he says, I want you to stay in people's houses and I'm going to give you an ability. And when you get ready to leave that house, if those are honorable people, I want you to leave. I'm, I'm amazed that he gave us this ability. I want you to leave your peace with them. How cool that we were given a peace we can leave with people. And and it apparently affects them in some positive way. That I can go there and put my blessing, my blessing, not just God's blessing, my blessing on a situation, on people's lives. And and a peace will come there, a blessing, a shalom. You know, the, the whole idea of, of shalom is kind of like... Um, You're under a dome. You're under like an umbrella. And it protects you against uh, threats. And it shields you. And it shades you. And it gathers you. Because when people walk under an umbrella, you know, they walk together. And so everything is harmonized and right. And so he says, live that way. Live that way inside. Live that way with God. Don't let there be anything between you and God. And live that way with each other. Live, Live in peace. Be peaceable. And the God of love, of agape, and peace will be with you. Okay. Now, our sixth foundation of a healthy Christian fellowship circle. He says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Uh, this is whatever whatever the most um, warm and affectionate physical, this is a physical greeting, Whatever the most warm and affectionate physical greeting in your culture that would be tolerated would be, Paul says, that's that's how you need to be with people. You need when you greet people, that, that law of first encounters, when they see your face, you need to learn. And actually, a lot of if you want to be a, a minister to people, there's just it's basic things. It's simple things. But one of them is. 
how you react when you see them. If you just focused on that, if for like the next 30 days, I could just challenge you that you write it on your mirror, put post-it notes, make your computer say it to you, like focus on greetings, focus on greetings. And whenever you see people for the first time every day, brighten up your face, raise your voice, act like it's like it's amazing that you're seeing them and that they are somebody super special for you. And whatever's the most warm way for you to uh, greet them, do it like that. Okay, Sherry and I are in a culture now that they don't touch much. You know, they, you, you, why? You put your hand in front of your face and you, you kind of bow to each other a little bit. And, and we do that. But we also, every chance we get, we start throwing hugs around. And it is not cultural. But, it, and it, it initially... They don't know what to do. And I don't, I don't, we don't do it with strangers, but we do it when we start with relationships with people, but you watch it happen. I mean, I have friends in this culture that, you know, they come out from behind their desk, uh, with their arms to their side now for their hug, because we need physical touch. We need that. It's part of being a healthy person. And if you come from a family that doesn't ever touch, and if you come from a fellowship that doesn't touch much. You need to introduce touch because it's, it's healthy. It's just, you know, the, whatever level. And he said, it's a holy greeting. You know, it's, it's nothing that could be considered, uh, off color. Uh, and he said, you know, greet each other, greet everybody, be greeting this warm, affectionate, physical manner. Cause you know, community is at the root of the Trinity. It's perfect community and achieving perfect community. It's one of the hardest things you'll ever do in your own family, you know, just keeping perfect harmony in your marriage, perfect community in your family, in your small circle. It's hard because of spiritual resistance, you know, because community is at the root of who God is. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in absolute perfect harmony relationally with each other. Perfect community. So, of course, the devil, who is the opposite of this, can't do it. And because of that, he just wants to fight it. So anybody trying to create communities is going to be resisted. So all the more, we need to put all the work we can into community building, warm, loving, affectionate, Christ-centered fellowship. And verse 12, Paul says, and all the saints wave to you, you know, as you work at this noble task of creating a healthy spiritual community in your city, the, you know, the biggest blessing you can bring to your world, opening up another healing stream on the surface of the earth. Paul says, all the saints are waving to you. You know, we greet you, we encourage you, we cheer for you as you do this great work. And he pronounces a blessing on them in verse 13. He says, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, because grace is at the root of this whole endeavor to create healthy spiritual circles. It can't be based on legalism. They have to be based on grace and on our restoration because of grace. Paul says, may the, as you do this work, and I pray this on you too, as you're listening to this podcast, as God uses you to build friendships and hopefully a small group of some kind to be a part of church at the micro real level. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you and may the agape of God the Father, that targeted love that 
loves first, that isn't deserved. And may the fellowship, the koinonia, the bringing together of all this, of the Holy Spirit, be with you all. It's a big job to be a bearer of light, to be the image of God in the world. But it's not enough to be a solo image of God. We have to work to establish Christian communities all over the planet. And where you have a healthy church, you have hope for change in people's lives. You know where to take people in trouble. You know where to turn to for resources. Churches are amazing resource centers when they understand their purpose. And when the people who lead those fellowships get out of the spotlight and quit thinking that this whole thing is about them and their ministry and giving them a platform to speak, you know, honestly, your preaching and my preaching, they're going to forget 90% of everything that you say in 24 hours. God intends us to forget 90% of everything that we have heard said Every 24 hours, your mind will not hold it. So if you think that your primary work in the lives of other people is to talk about God's word to them, it can't be that. It's a, it's a, a system. It's much larger than that. So, yes, Bible training is a, you know, it's central to our task, but it isn't the task. You know, body life is the task. That's what brings life to a church. And that's the only way that we really know how to live out the scriptures anyway. We live it out together. Communion, foot washing. This is what Jesus taught us about how you live together as God's people. Well, that is a wrap on our study of verse by verse through the book of 2 Corinthians. We're going to come back for two more episodes just to go through the highlights and the takeaways from this book. And then I'm going to talk to you about future direction for the podcast. So once again, if I could just encourage you, uh, hit that subscribe button on the um, on the show notes there. There's a button there that'll say subscribe. If you'll hit that button, we'll have your email address and we will send you notifications of the next podcast because it's going to take me a few months to get this going and to release it the way I want to. But I think it's going to be uh, another good investment in your growth as leader, I care about you. I care about your development. I want to do everything I can do as a person to help you move ahead. Uh, build big people. That's the, like the core uh, theme of my life. I just want to be part of the Holy Spirit, building big people all over the world. Uh, this work is yours. It's being passed to your hands, and God is calling you to do it. And my generation is here to pass on whatever we can, and I'm here to do whatever I can do for you. Uh, if you want to write me personally, I'll give you my personal email address, chuck at quinley.com, Q-U-I-N-L-E-Y. I'm very happy for you to write me directly, and I will write you back. Thanks again. That's all for now. Uh, check out the free course. We've got free courses on Media Light Online uh, about finding God's will for your life. You can also check out MediaLightAsia.com if you want to know about our training center in Thailand and our online training and training that might be available in your country because we're starting to plant daughter schools. Uh, it's an exciting day for us as a new kind of missionary is raised up because God needs new, a new kind of spokesman today. The world has changed a lot, and we want to be part of a new generation rising up to speak to the world for the Lord. So this week, expect God to use you. You're the light of the world, so shine on.